Anita, how's your mental health? <laughs> Questionable <laughs> at all times. You know this. Yeah. How's the mental health of your children? Um, also a little bit tricky. Can I tell you my experience in trying to find therapists for myself and my kids, Mel? Yes, please. Okay. This is how it goes. You ask around your friends and your family for a referral for somebody who's nearby. You finally find somebody who sounds like they might work for your family. You give them a call and you find out that A, they're not accepting new patients or B, they have a huge wait list. So you start over again and you ask people if they know anybody who would be a good therapist and a good fit. Finally, you find one, you go and you meet with them and you figure out that you don't actually like them that much. But it's been so much work to find somebody who you can go to in your area that you're kind of stuck with them. Well, do you have any ideas for how to get around this? Um, I do, because guess what? I've actually had some therapists that I have found on my own, which involves what you're saying. Sometimes I remember one time I was like three hours in the bathtub on my phone looking through yeah. websites. I was such a prune at the end. But I have also had the experience with working with BetterHelp and it was like, I, I don't want to say too good to be true, but because it is true, but it's like amazing because I was matched with my therapist within 24 hours. And you didn't have to go through all of that other ridiculous process of trying to find somebody. And here's the cool thing too, is if that person didn't work out for you, you can just switch and say, and it's not like you're committing to another years long search for somebody who you're going to jive with. It's true. And I lucked out or maybe just BetterHelp is really good at matching people together because I never had to change my therapist. I loved her. Perfect fit for me. And I know that some of our friends have used BetterHelp and they've had to change therapists and boom, same day can change. Easy peasy. You can ghost your therapist. <laughs> Get a new one. I love this idea. BetterHelp is one of our sponsors. If you use our promo code, trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN, you get 10% off your first month and we totally recommend it. Yes. Get some therapy. That's <laughs> trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. One, a two, a one, two, three. That count off was way amazing and much better. It had some rhythm to it. I think so too. Anita is so techie, you guys. Right now she has a new computer, new-ish, yep, new to her. Mel just walked me through how to do everything on it because I am elderly compared to her. So she was like, this is what we call the keyboard and this is what we call the screen. And I was like, <laughs> what? She made it happen, though, you guys. I actually did not even have to show her where the power button was. So we're doing pretty well. We are doing pretty well. Okay, can I tell you a funny story? Please. So my grandpa is 90 years old, and he has this little gas station. He still goes to work every day like a rock star. But he just does emissions now. So, like, making sure that the car isn't producing too many fumes. I don't know. Anyway, a few years ago, they made him start using a computer and the internet to do it. So I said to myself, I'm just going to run down there really quick and I'll teach him how to log on to the website. And so he can start using the internet program instead of the, I don't even know what it was, like pencil and paper. Anyway, <laughs> Stone tablet. I was there for eight hours because I didn't even think about this, but he had no concept of scrolling or how to like double click, single click. He was like, where did that stuff come from? And I'm like, oh, I just scrolled. It was down there. He's like, where did it come from? <laughs> oh. And I was there forever. And my eyes were huge. 
I was just beside myself. But, you know, we just take for granted that we understand the mouse and, you know, turning it on. And he'll call me all the time for tech support. And he'll say, Anita, I'm on the screen and it it says there's an error. And I say, what's... What screen? The you know the the screen you get onto when you first get onto it. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, it's, it's very funny. Anyway, that's my story of an actually. So now you know how I feel. I know, an actual elderly person. Would you like to hear about my COVID update? Would I? Yes. Thanks. I don't have it. Neither do my oh. parents. I think it's because of all of the things your mom made you drink: tinctures, teas, Amish poultices. <laughs> I'm so happy you don't have it because that would have been awful. Thank you. My sister cannot taste or smell still. Is she feeling sick, though? She got pretty sick for a few days but then started feeling better. But she said that when she stands up and walks, then sometimes she's like, oh, I got to sit down. And then the tasting and smelling thing is real. That's crazy. I know. Anyway, I'm happy to report I am not COVID positive. Therefore, I will not be dying anytime soon, but I am going to be moving to Australia to go play with the little baby nope. kangaroo joeys. Yeah. Nope. And this is all Aaron and Liz's fault. And you guys, if you are in our Widow Wives Club, you know what we're talking about. You can foster baby kangaroos. That's all I have to say. And wombats, apparently. But that wasn't even what we were talking we were You wanted a koala. I know, but then I knew that they weren't very cuddly. And then Aaron showed that picture of the joey and I was... I was done for. You were overtaken. Yeah. But I don't think they will let you in right now anyway. I think Australia is closed to you and me. Oh, man. Oh, man. But we are going to go one day. It's going to be fun. Do you want to hear the results of our unscientific survey? Yes, please. So, to remind you folks, the survey was about our unclassified widow designation and what it should be called. And the two entries that we put up were the significant widow and the unwedow. And I watched the poll all day long and it started out that significant widow was way ahead. And then unwedow pulled it out at the end in a vote of 62% to 38%. Wow, really? Yes. This is exciting because tis the time of polling. (laughs) Tis the time. And this poll was like, had no dire consequences for what you chose. It's true. It just was a silly thing. And we have no authority to say that's what it's called, but we are authorizing ourselves to name... To declare that an unmarried widow is now called an unwedow. So, Hannah Lagasa, please send us your responses. And we have some other widow wives in the Widow Wives Club that are in the same unwedow circumstance. We would like to know what you guys think. Send us a message or a video. And if your name didn't make it to the top two, our deepest apologies... That's just how it goes sometimes. We still love you. Hey, guys, just a reminder, sign up for our Patreon. It's so fun. We have some fun things in there already. And, Mel, can I wish you a happy one-year podcast anniversary? Oh, my gosh. I can't believe it. It's been an entire year of podcast. You mean happy, sad podcast anniversary? Because we would not be here if we did not have dead people. But now That's we are true. here. Okay, but can I tell you something, Mel? I was perusing Facebook and I saw somebody in our Widow Wives Club 
comment on the personal post of another of our Widow Wives Club. And I felt so proud because I was like, they wouldn't have known each other without us. It was like a happy mother moment, you know? My you heart had feelings. Was, I had feelings. And I was, I was like, oh my gosh, look at what we've done. <laughs> we love it. We love this little community that we have created and that you guys are a part of. And you guys are such a great part to our day, even though, of course, we're in stupid situations. But we wouldn't know you guys otherwise. So thank you. We appreciate you. thanks to your spouses for dying. Yeah. So that we could know you. Tell them to haunt us. And we can't wait to meet you guys in person if that ever happens someday. In Australia. In Australia with the Joeys. I just want to go to Australia to eat licorice. The kookaburra licorice? The soft licorice. Yeah. Can you hear my child? Do you need to go check on the fish? <laughs> um, right before we got on this Zoom call, my son dumped two entire containers of fish food into the poor fish's fish tank. And I was performing a emergency rescue of the fish. The water was so gross and clouded with all of this fish food. And so I had to like scoop the fish out and get some water and condition the water and put the fish in there and then clean out the fish tank. So how do you condition water? You put in water conditioner? conditioner. Yeah. Like not hair conditioner, Mel. It's wrong. Oh, okay. Fish water conditioner. I don't know. Remember when they wouldn't let me adopt a goldfish? <laughs> this is actually a true story. How how do you not qualify to get goldfish at the pet store? How? <laughs> I don't understand it still, but it really rocked me to the core. It made me feel like I was a bad person. I went to the pet store to buy a goldfish for my son. I promised him he could have one. The goldfish cost 30 cents. Okay, there's like a billion of them in the little tank. So I get the worker and I say, hey, can I get a goldfish? And he says, are you going to feed it to something? And I said, no, it's going to be a pet. And then he said, do you have a filtered tank? And I said, no, it's a 30 cent goldfish. It's going in a bowl. And then he said, I'm sorry, I can't sell it to you. And I was like, what? You can't tell the truth. Why did you tell the truth? Because I didn't know I was being like monitored. I didn't know I was being, what is that word? Vetted? Yeah, I didn't know I was being vetted. It's a 30 cent goldfish. So they want you either to eat it immediately or... Uh, have a nice tank for it well now you've learned your lesson yes i will lie the next time i go to buy goldfish actually i just won't go back there because i think that's crazy okay um oh what something happened to my pants what's the matter with them i peed on them (laughs) okay go change them Uh, (laughs) it's the perfect lead-in I just want to remind you about our Patreon, guys. We have three levels. The Widow Friend, the Widow Bestie, and the Widow Wife. Please help me to get a babysitter, you guys. The Widow Friend helps us pay for our podcast hosting. The Widow Bestie helps Anita get a babysitter so that when her kid pees her pants, that she can still record the podcast and somebody else can take care of it. And the Widow Wife comes with all of the fun stuff. We get Q&A videos, behind-the-scenes tours, input into our episodes, plus you're just cool. So there's that. I'm at a loss for words right now. (laughs) (laughs) Patreon.com slash WWDN.
It's time to shout out to our widow bestie and widow wife supporters. We have Sylvia Louise, you know, with hyphen, the Winehouse, aka Karen Cornejo, Rachel Barbosa, Ileana Bell, Gabe Lozano, Aaron Posick, Sylvia Shore, thanks, Mel's mom, Jenny Barrow, Christine Anderson, Diana Becker, Sarah Morris, and David Kelly. Thank you guys. Mel? I'm Anita. We're a couple of two young widows trying to figure out widow we we do do now. now. I'll tell you what I'm going to go do now. I'm going to go change some pants. (laughs) Um. Not my own. (laughs) Mine are fine. So our guest today is the one and only Carly Kropf, and she is an LMFT. But wait, there's more. She is also one of us. Yay and boo at the same time. <laughs> Yay and boo. Carly is like special because she has the professional training and also she has the real life training of going through this situation. So we invited Carly to come on for um what would you call this topic? It's like the I keep wanting to say like bombshell, but that's not boundaries. The, no, 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 yeah. no, no. The quagmire. It's a hard one. The quagmire. It's like this muddy, swampy place without a lot of clear direction about what to do. It's a hard one. So when we when we first started talking about doing um, an episode about in-laws and I went to the widow and widower groups to ask for advice, I was like, a lot of people you know, like we talked about, had um, stuff they wanted their in-laws to know, but nobody had good information about what they had done or what to do. And so I was like, man, we got to go find some professional help. And Carly came to mind. So Carly, before we get into that, um, can you just give us a quick intro of yourself and how you came into the widow situation? Yes. Yes, I will. So seven years ago, I was pregnant with twins. Uh, My husband, Mike, had the flu for a few days and had been down, not feeling super great. He, so Friday, he started feeling better. And so we were thinking of an upswing here. Friday night, I slept downstairs because we were super paranoid about me getting the flu. We had had so many problems getting pregnant that we were like, didn't want me getting sick and anything happening to the babies. So I slept downstairs. Mike slept upstairs. I woke up Saturday morning to find that Mike had passed away in the middle of the night. He, um, They figured that a blood clot had formed in his leg and he of the night and the clot dislodged to his lungs. So he very unexpectedly passed away. Yeah, leaving me pregnant with two babies. And I found myself knowing that I would need to support a family. And I was definitely not super into the career I had at the time. And so when the twins were about a year old, I went back to school and got my master's degree in marriage and family therapy. So that's kind of how I ended up in the widow club. And then that's how I ended up in the 
in the therapy club. Well, thank you for belonging to both clubs because we're going to find that really useful today. (laughs) (laughs) Glad it can be put to you. Yeah. So specifically, I asked Carly um, to help us navigate the waters of in-laws relationships after your spouse dies because this is a hard topic. So, Carly, tell us everything to do. Just like, can you, is it like a five sentence answer? (laughs) Oh, I wish it were a five sentence answer. Okay, Carly. So the first question that I have is, how do you set boundaries? I'm going to back up a little bit first and define what boundaries are. Simply put, boundaries are what is and isn't okay with you. So boundaries are what you're willing to talk about or what you aren't willing to talk about, events you are willing to attend or are unwilling to attend. So boundaries essentially say what you're okay with, what you're not okay with. And boundaries are not about controlling anybody else. Boundaries are about honoring your own space and what's important to you. It's super important to remember that when we go through something like what we've been through that is traumatic, we lost control over a part of our lives. So essentially something happened to us that we had no choice and no control over what happened. Boundaries are really important in helping us reclaim our self-ownership. And that is a really important part of healing from trauma. It's the sense that we have control over our own lives. And boundaries enable us to have a healthy sense of control again and reclaim that self-ownership. So there's the why, kind of what boundaries are, why they're important. How do you set boundaries? So I find that oftentimes we know how to set boundaries. We know what we're okay with and what we're not okay with. But sometimes what gets in the way is we're afraid of the other person's reaction. Uh, We might be afraid of disappointing other people or afraid of judgment. So I think it's also important to ask ourselves, what is it that's making it difficult for me to to set a boundary or to communicate what, what I am okay with? Kind of a simple formula that I like to follow for how to communicate boundaries It's really helpful to start out by emphasizing the importance of the relationship with the person you're talking to. Uh, The second part is to state your boundary, communicate what, what you want. And then the third part is to thank that person and to reinforce their willingness to accept your boundary. You might say to somebody, I know that you're trying to help me right now. I know that you care about me and our relationship means a lot to me too, but I'm not comfortable with doing X, Y, Z. And thank you so much for respecting that that's something I'm not able to do right now. So for example, hey, Anita. What? I know that you're grieving, but can you give me $1 million? Mel, Your relationship with me is really important, and I really understand that you're doing your best to be my widow wife, but I'm not comfortable, nor do I have $1 million to give you, so I really hope that you can respect this boundary that I'm putting for you and that we can continue to be in a wonderful widow-wife relationship. I understand. How was that, (laughs) Carly? 
<laughs> beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> it's a great start. <laughs> this might be getting ahead of ourselves, but what if their reaction is not great? Then what do you do? Oh, that's the hard part, right? We have to remember that we cannot control somebody else's reaction. And it might not be a great reaction. The people around us might feel sad and they might feel disappointed and they might feel frustrated and they really might hate the fact that we're having to set different boundaries and that's okay. It's okay for our in-laws to feel whatever they feel and to work through their own discomfort. That doesn't mean that we need to change our boundary. And that doesn't mean that we're responsible for their feelings. I think that one is such a lifelong lesson for a lot of us trying to not be responsible, feel like we're responsible for other people's feelings. It's so hard. It is really hard because you do. You feel like you don't want to disappoint other people or you you don't want them to be judging how you're choosing to raise your kids or or whatever. So it is really exactly. difficult. Okay. It is. And I'll be the first to say that even being a therapist and having extra training, I really struggle with this. I don't like disappointing my in-laws or people around me. I don't like when they're uncomfortable with something that I feel really strongly about. So this is something that is really, really tough. And let's honor that. You kind of said this, but how do you know... um when it's time to set up boundaries? Like, when do you know that it's okay to do what they want you to do? Or when is it, you know, or when do you know that you need to put your foot down and say, okay, you know what, this isn't going to work for me? Is there a way to know that? Sometimes we assume that unless we had a huge life insurance payout, we don't really need to know anything about investments or even finances. But guess what? A little knowledge of finances is critical for all of us. Maybe your partner was in charge of that stuff, and now you find yourself making all the decisions. Maybe you're mad about that. Maybe I am. Nicole from the He's Gone But The Money's Not podcast is here to help. She tackles financial literacy by telling the stories of women and widows and finance experts and shares the lessons they've learned as certified financial planners. Whether you know a lot and feel confident in your financial decisions or feel unsure about all of that stuff, there is more to learn. Listen and subscribe to the He's Gone But The Money's Not podcast on all podcast platforms. This ad was paid for by Rock House Financial, an SEC-registered investment advisor. I think so. I I kind of laughed when I saw that question because my initial response was, when you know, you know. Okay. <laughs> like, but here are some good indicators that you might need a boundary. If you're feeling a lot of anger or resentment about the situations you find yourself in, about some of the interactions you might be feeling, if you leave certain situations feeling excessive guilt or feeling uncomfortable or obligated to do something that's not quite sitting right with you, that's a good indicator that there is something going on inside of you that needs some attention. And that might mean that you need to put some limits in place or that you need to communicate 
a need that you have. And um, I think those are all pretty good indicators that we need to examine the boundaries that we have and the boundaries that we're communicating. So like when I asked you if you would give me a million dollars and you felt that unrest in your soul, Anita, that's how you know it's time to set a boundary. It's. I feel like it's harder than that, though, because sometimes you feel like I just need to suck it up and do it. You know what I'm saying? And it's. Yes. And then you have to try and decide at what point in time it's not a grin and bear it. It's I need to take control. Or sometimes the requests or the things that you're asked to do don't seem like anybody's crossing the line. So it's 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 almost easier when you ask me something that's outlandish, like you want a million dollars. You know, what if you ask me to to drop everything and come to an event with you that was a really important event for you, but I didn't feel comfortable with it? That doesn't seem as outlandish, and so it's hard to know if you want to put your foot down and say, no, that doesn't work for us, or... Whatever. Or if we're talking about family, that's always kind of a line that is squiggly, I think, or it can be blurred because there's a lot of feelings like, well, I should do this because this is family and family is the most important, at least, you know, in a lot of people's cultures. That's how they've been brought up. But it's kind of scary to go against that when you have this conflict in your body and you're just like, I am not comfortable with that. This is crossing my boundary. But your brain knows this is my family, and I should do this stuff. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk, guys. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm done. <laughs> you hit on all of those big indicators, though, right? Like when you're feeling obligated, when you feel you should do something, when you feel you have to do something because there's an expectation, it really is okay for us to examine those expectations and decide if they're working out for us. And unfortunately, it's not a clear, hard line of you always say yes and sacrifice because it's important and you need to suck it up and go. Sometimes that might be the right answer. And sometimes the answer might be, I cannot give any more than what I'm giving, or I cannot attend that event because I'll be so drained afterwards that I won't be able to keep going. And I think we have to look sometimes at a case-by-case -case basis for that. I think we also have to give ourselves permission that we know what's best for us and our kids. So what someone else's boundary might be, you might be completely okay with, and something you're really not okay with might be somebody else's like, sure, I could suck it up and do that. I have a you question know? you for you guys because you guys have kids and I don't. Is it okay to have boundaries with your own kids? And how do you use, <laughs> how do you discuss <laughs> that in the situation of being a widowed mom? That's what my locked bedroom door is, man. That's my boundary. <laughs> Stay out there. And do they, do they abide by my boundary? Absolutely not. They've learned how to unlock that door. So <laughs> it's terrible. My daughter, too, she has all sorts of tools that she uses to unlock my bedroom door. Like, what? She's got yes. like a collection Legos? of what she. Yes. Yes. They find stuff. It's they're like little monkeys <laughs> using their little tools to get in there. Um, I, I think Carly okay. should answer the question <laughs> so I know what to do. Okay. <laughs> I think any relationship has to have boundaries for it to work. 
And especially with our kids, like our kids have to know what is okay for them to do and what is not okay for them to do. And we reinforce that by our behaviors and our consequences, our rewards. So absolutely, like for a relationship with our kids to work, we also have to have limits. We're also going to have things that they can do, things that they can't do, and things that we're comfortable with. Ultimately, we're the ones responsible for letting other people know what what that line is, what we're able to give, what we're unable to give. And that's especially true with our kids. Our boundaries and our consistency with our kids help them know what they can count on, what they can expect from us. Ultimately, it builds more trust and more connection when we're consistent with communicating and then following through on those boundaries. Okay, you just said something that I wanted to ask you about. So do boundaries have to come with a consequence to be a boundary? Does that make sense? Like, if you do this, I do this. Or can it just be like, I'm not going to do this? I think it can be both. Yeah, so sometimes our boundary might be really direct. Sometimes our boundary might be something more internal where we know that we'll have a certain response when or if something happens, right? So a boundary can also be distancing. A boundary can also be not responding. A boundary can also be changing the subject. It doesn't have to be stating, here's what you have to do. And if you don't do that, then I'm going to do this. You know, it, it sometimes is more subtle than that. Take my ball and go home. Exactly. Yeah, sometimes it's more subtle. So many of the issues I feel like we face as widows is because who takes ownership, quote unquote, ownership of the dead person, right? So there seems to be some push and pull between in-laws and spouses about who's in charge, who gets to make decisions, or who has the biggest grief, so um, how do you navigate that? How do you navigate honoring your in-law's grief, but also like, because my opinion, and I don't think it's even an, an opinion, is that the spouse wins all of the arguments. And I think that's a fairly reasonable opinion. But that was, I don't even know if that was a question. That was like a big blah, vomit at you. <laughs> Respond. No, that. Um, I think I understand what you're saying because there's sometimes a grief war, right? Like who's hurting the most, who, who has the most say over, over your person who has died. Uh, I think that we as the widow or, or person who's lost a person can all say to ourselves that acknowledging someone else's pain does not minimize our own. So acknowledging that our in-laws have pain and that they've experienced a loss as well, that does not diminish our own loss. I think you're right in that when you're the spouse, you were creating a life together. You were building a life together. Your day-to-day life certainly is the most impacted by the loss, which means 
that the majority of decision making is going to fall. Do you on think you. that that's true no matter how long you've been married, though? So, as somebody that was not married super long to their spouse, or in our case of our friends that were not married at all and they were looking to build a life together, or like Hannah, hi Hannah, Hannah was not married but they were committed to each other. We're in a little bit of a different situation where it's like, well, we were just starting to build our life and we had everything in front of us. And I think it can get a little bit muddy because I know for me, right when Scott died, I just immediately thought, well, I'm just assuming that everybody is going to treat me like it was a breakup or something. And it's like, well, yeah, you used to be part of Scott's family, but now you're not going to be. And so I even asked one of my sisters-in-law, I was like, does this mean that I'm like not in your family anymore? And of course they're really great. And said, oh no, of course it doesn't mean that. But I think there's a tendency that the less time that you're married, you're going to be a little bit dismissed a little bit more. I just heard of of a situation where a girl was in her early 20s and they had been married for one week and he died. And there's all sorts of problems with the family, um, with the person, you know, her husband's family and they're not speaking to her. And here she is like, I am so young and what just happened? So it's, yeah. So I feel as somebody that was, is in the boat of, we were not married that long, that these things that may seem like absolutes or common sense with with people that are married longer are not necessarily treated the same way. No, I think that's a really important point. Almost like you have to earn your place then, or you have to earn your right to make those decisions. And if you haven't been married as long, you have that feeling like you haven't proven yourself yet and you don't have the right to make those choices But especially not having a kid, I felt like, well, if I were married this long to Scott, a year and 11 months, and I had a kid, it would be totally different than if I didn't have a kid, which is my reality. So that's another thing to kind of deal with. A kid feels like it solidifies you into that, I have a right to do this, but not having a kid makes it seem a little different to me, I think. Well, you've, and that's been your experience, hasn't it? You've been treated differently because of that. Is there a rule though in like the world that once you're married though you the spouse I feel like there should be a rule about that like you can be married for one week and that's just that means that he committed to you he chose you to be or she depending on your situation you're their person and until you get divorced it doesn't matter if you've been married for 10 minutes or 50 years do you know what I'm saying? Are there laws I mean I think a lot of laws and states or things like that, you know, are you entitled to property if you're married? You know, how do those things go? Is that, I haven't researched it that much. Do you know? I don't know that either, to be honest. If there's a certain amount of time that you have to be married to claim those benefits legally. So yeah, we get into kind of murky waters here where there's not a clear this is what you are supposed to do and this is what you're not supposed to do and this is what you're entitled to. So That's why this is so difficult to navigate because it isn't always cut and dry and situations are so nuanced that we're navigating with a lot of different variables and that makes this extra challenging. So how do you deal with somebody who you feel like is trying to make your grief seem less than? So, you know, I'm a mom, so I can understand that losing a child would be awful right but an adult child is probably different than a than a child child 
you know, so how do you deal with that kind of feeling that their grief is bigger than yours and that you have to honor their grief and bow down to their grief? Uh, you just pull yourself away. You distance yourself. That's one thing that is probably not always the best way to do. I've certainly done that when I don't know how to cope with that. So, but let me say, I think first of all, we do, we have to honor our own internal experience. We have to recognize this hurts so much and I'm feeling extra pain because I'm feeling like my loss is being minimized by somebody else. We have to do that for ourselves. I think next it's important and okay to set a boundary with other people that they need to find their own emotional support. And you might, it's not, you might not be able to be the emotional support for other people, even if you're grieving the loss of the same person. Even if you're grieving the same loss, you had a very different relationship with that person. It affects your life very differently. And so one way I've handled that is to say, when somebody does bring their big grief to me and, and tells me how much worse it, their grief is than mine, I'll try to say, oh, I miss him so much too. And this is so painful. And I hope you can find some support to keep working through those feelings because they're hard and they're painful. And then I, I just have to kind of disengage from the conversation at that point. It takes too much of my emotional energy to try to prove that my grief is as big or bigger, even if it is right at, at some point we have to invite that person to find ways to cope with their pain. And I will find ways to cope with my, that pain. actually happened to me from somebody that was in a close proximity to the situation. Um, and, and a lot of my experiences were totally opposite from that. Um, but with this person, I was, we were talking about something and it kind of ended up being in a, well, this person's grief should be more than yours because da, 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 da. And I didn't even know what to say. The only thing that I could do is like smiley face and like, I, it was in such an early part of my grief. It was within six months. And it's the only thing that I could do. It's like, I don't have energy to combat you. I also realized that like you and maybe some other people are like laying claim to something that I don't think that you should. However, uh, bye. So I, it was just like peacefully kind of get out of the situation. But it destroyed me for months, 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 months. I can't, I mean... So for anybody that's listening that's not quite sure of how things like this are taken, they may seem like something that's just something that you can talk about in passing conversation. But for those of us that are in a certain sensitive spot, they can really affect the person that you're talking to. So I hope that if um, people that are not widows that are listening to this, if they can take anything away from this, just kind of be careful in what you say and be a little bit thoughtful. And And I like that we're approaching this from the this is all muddy waters standpoint because it is like you said Carly it's like that's why this is so hard yeah yeah absolutely I I'm sure we've all had situations similar to yours Mel and that breaks it, it's awful when your grief is so minimized and diminished by somebody else who's hurting I think when we've had an, had some time and maybe some distance from those early days of grief we can maybe see that differently we can see that it was their own pain that caused people to say things like that. But when you're in those early fresh days of grief, 
simple comments like that absolutely can create a spiral for days and weeks and you still remember those things I know like I have feelings right now like it kind of brought it up right now and I was not expecting that yeah it does those feelings don't go away they're it it triggers a lot of pain and I feel like that was stemming from sorry Anita I feel like that was stemming from my specific situation of not being married to Scott for longer than other people in his life were around him and so then it just makes me feel even less like okay well Here's another thing I'm dealing with, loss of me being in his life. Great. Enter passive suicidality. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important for in-laws to also seek, and you said this too, seek therapy for their own grief and to kind of understand um, where their grief lies in the, like, have you heard of the concentric, somebody introduced me to the concentric circles of grief and how we support in and we complain out. So like you don't complain to the person who's closest to the, the grief. Um, and it, it concentrically goes out. And that's kind of what you were explaining. Like if you're not the closest, then you don't complain to the person who's closer or you don't ask them to help you. You look outside of that. But, um, I think it's super important to have, you know, people who are further out on the ring also seek support from a therapist, um, to talk about that with. And if you were counseling somebody who was an in-law, <laughs> I just kind of want to say, would you just tell them to quit it, Carly? Is that how you would counsel them? Would be like, leave that poor woman alone. Is that what they trained you in school? And if not, will you still please do that? <laughs> She's like, I'm speechless. There's a great Bob Newhart clip where he just says, stop it. Stop it. Certainly our in-laws pain and their emotions are valid too. And it would be really unique. I've I haven't had that experience yet in my career, to be honest, but it would be really unique to be on the end of coaching or counseling in-laws through their own pain. And I would be extra mindful of the spouse in that situation and how much they're impacted by other people's behavior. Okay. I'll take, I will accept that answer. Does that, does that answer your question? Yes. I mean, really, I just want, I just want people to validate my opinion. And so if you would just tell everybody that I'm right, that's really what I'm looking for. But actually my in-laws are really great. I don't have that much to complain about. What if a widow comes across a situation where an in-law overrides the widow's choices and wishes and and makes a big change to something that's pretty important, like maybe something like a funeral plan or a headstone or casket or something like that or property. Do you have any insights on that? How can they handle that? I think that's a hard one, right? You're like, ah, shoot <laughs> you them. You can see Carly's face right now. <laughs> oh, that, that's a hard one. Again, like I don't have all the answers to those hard, hard questions, you know? Carly. I think some guiding principles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish I did. I think some guiding principles that can help is have someone else on your court. Like I kind of had similar situations where decisions were made or changed after I had already made them. And I was very upset about it and also very not in a place where I could have done anything about it. So my dad was kind of my go-to person. Like he fought those battles for me. So maybe I don't know how to answer that because it, 
I didn't do that on my own. I had, I needed my support team in those situations to say, this thing happened that I'm not comfortable with. I'm really upset about it. And those people helped try to negotiate or navigate or share why that was upsetting. And, and I think, you know, one way to cope with that is having a team on your side to try to, to communicate why that wasn't okay and what might be done to try to rectify the situation. Some of those situations also, if they really can't be changed, if, and if the, if the person on the other end is unwilling to budge and unwilling to compromise or navigate your feelings with you, it absolutely leaves you saying, is this a relationship I want to continue in my life? If that's how they're responding to those situations and they're not willing to have you be part of it, certainly I would be asking myself, do I want to continue having this relationship? I think you did a good job answering that question that we gave you no preparation time yes, for. Yes, good job. That maybe it's time to seek backup, right? If if it's not something you can deal yes. with. And this, and sometimes it's not even something that happens right after the funeral. This is, you know, we know of instances that happen down the road even where you find something out that you didn't you didn't get asked about. And again, it's this ownership thing, like who's responsible for the person, you know? And in my in my opinion, if you it doesn't matter once you've made the commitment to that person, that's who they've chosen to be their person to make those decisions. So, and I think that as a parent would be really hard to accept that and to know that I that spouse gets the first decision and you're you're still the mom or you're still the dad, but they were the person they chose to spend their life with. Is that fair to say that? Absolutely. And again, grief isn't a competition. So I think we all kind of have to reframe that in our mind that it's not about ownership. Mom and dad not getting to make some choices doesn't mean they're any less of mom or dad or wife or husband having not making every choice, it does not make them any less of a spouse. So we do want to reframe that idea of ownership and recognize that we, that our role is not threatened by somebody else. Other people can have opinions and they can, that doesn't change their state as their beloved or their number one person, you know? I like that because because I did take things as I took my reaction was, oh, then I must be not as important. And that's when I had to look at the headstone picture on my fridge and be like, oh, remember how you guys got married? So I wish I had known this before, but I'm glad that we're learning it at least after the fact. And hopefully it can help some people sooner. Yeah, it's a lot of and it's a lot of internal work. Some of this work that we're doing, nobody else around us even knows about it. Our in-laws might not need to be part of that process at all. Those are that's our own healing and our own work to do. And just like they have their own, if they're also feeling this sense of they're losing ownership, if they're not making those big decisions, that's their work to do. And they have some healing to do around that as well. Insert ad for betterhelp.com right here. <laughs> <laughs> when people get married, in-laws are the source of stress in any normal marriage. 
because you're taking these two families and you're combining them and you're trying to figure out what you're going to keep from each family and what you're not going to do and how you're going to interact and how you're going to spend your time. And it's stressful in like even a really great marriage, right? So how do you deal with losing that buffer or losing the person that you used to send on your errands and say like, go tell your mom or go tell your sister that we're not coming to that or don't, you know what I'm saying? Go, go, go tell her to stop talking to my kid like that. How do you do that? (laughs) Right. Uh, Right. And then it's all on, (laughs) it's all on you, you know? Oh yeah. That's another thing that's really tough here. Because they loved them and they could like be terrible people, but they could still like squirm away and be like, you guys are being stupid and we're not doing it. And they're like, okay, we hate you. We love you again because you're my brother, you know, or my son or whatever. I was looking, it's funny because I was looking through, I was trying to find some notes that I had from other classes that I've attended. And I found actually some notes I had made when Mike and I first got married and we were given counsel by somebody. And one of the pieces I had taken notes on about in-laws was don't let your in-laws become too involved. And there are some things that you don't talk to them about, that you shouldn't speak ill of your spouse to your in-laws. And, and a lot of those same rules of like, again, keeping boundaries with in-laws, that there are certain things you don't need to involve them in and that you don't need to talk to them about, those still apply. And then it also does fall a lot on you to communicate when those boundaries have been crossed, when something happens that you aren't comfortable with. And unfortunately, if it's something that's really important to you, you you commun- you have to communicate that. You have to let them know so that they understand when a boundary has been crossed or when something's happening that you feel really uncomfortable with. Assuming that your in-laws want to keep a relationship with you and your children, they're going to respond to that kind of feedback. Oh, I just had a terrible thought. What? Oh no, what's that? What about their boundaries towards you? Because they probably have those too, don't you think? Or no? Sure, but yes. But remember that a boundary is not about controlling someone else. So if their boundaries are that they expect you to do things a certain way or want you to behave in a certain way, that's not really a boundary. That's just manipulation or control. Yeah. That was my next question because we do unfortunately hear a lot of stories about some young widows that have very manipulative in-laws and maybe borderline mentally ill, maybe even borderline personality. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a totally different thing. <laughs> I'm being totally serious. <laughs> and, I believe you. Uh, so I... how do you approach that? I mean, it could be even like emotionally abusive where it is in that category of what you just talked about. Again, you hold, you honor your own boundaries and you might keep some good distance between you and your in-laws. There will be a lot of things that it's not in yours or your kid's best interest to let them be too much a part of those things. So you have some areas that you're comfortable allowing them in and you'll have other pieces where they're not allowed in. And if things do become emotionally manipulative and emotionally unsafe, it's not only okay, but it's really important to have even firmer boundaries so that you're not exposing yourself and your kids to more trauma on top of the trauma you're already going through. It's too bad because it puts so much of the responsibility on you to have a boundary, but it also makes you stronger. You're right. 
it's both of those things. It it's both of those things. And this could be another Um Carly would say a magic know, phrase and everything is fine. That's how this works. <laughs> Where's I your want magic, the magic wand, wand, Carly? That's what I wanted. <laughs> a magic phrase and then everything would be fine. I thought they gave that to you at like graduation. Boundaries have, you know, everybody has boundaries. So I'm just thinking that maybe your in-laws, not that they're controlling you, but they say, this is what we're going to do. And and then like if they came to you and said, this is, you know, and then you're supposed to honor their boundaries too. All of a sudden I just like got overwhelmed because I'm supposed to honor other people's boundaries or try and change my behavior to if I want to keep a relationship with somebody else who has a boundary. And I feel like my brain just exploded. I can see why it did just explode. Because everybody has to have boundaries then. Yes, you're right. But ultimately, it's not your job. It's not your job to, it's not solely your job to make, to follow through on the boundaries for your spouse, for your in-laws, right? That's, that's their job. They're not asking they can, they can ask you to change their your behavior but ultimately they're the ones who have to follow through on their own way of being to honor what's most important to them that's not your job that's their job that's one thing you can cross off your list that's theirs <laughs> i'm just thinking you know with my boundaries you know if they if if they're not honoring my boundaries then my like then it's like okay well then our relationship has to to change or whatever. And then I think, well, then I have to give them the same, you know, same consideration that I request of them. Otherwise you're in the cycle of abuse, right? Cause, cause the more that you try to adapt to somebody else's unhealthy behavior, you're like, okay, maybe if I change, I do this, I do this. Then the more that they are going to be manipulative and then you're in major trouble. Exactly. That's basically my life story in all of my twenties and early thirties. That's how I know that. Go mental health. And look at where you're at today. I'm a widow with blue hair. I have three dogs. (laughs) Yes. So a couple other things that can help with navigating in-law relationships. One is I think we, it's okay for us to reframe why we go. Every relationship in our life has changed and it has a new, it's different after death. And so it's okay in our mind to allow the relationships to shift and evolve. So the reasons why we go and why we attend things might look really different. If we're participating in relationships with our in-laws solely out of obligation, we're going to feel really angry and resentful and burnt out very quickly. So those relationships can be more enjoyable if we are able to reframe the reasons why we go. Like maybe we keep those relationships or go to events because it's important for our kids. Or maybe we do certain things because it's a way we can show love for our spouse who has passed away. So I think that's one thing that can help those relationships is if we reframe the why. (laughs) Hold on, hold on. Are your kids coming into the room too? (laughs) Oh, oh yes. They're, they're, I just said, go back out, but they were just checking on me. They just got the door unlocked, so. Wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are your kids talking to you right now, Carly? (laughs) (laughs) Barbie hands. Yes, yes. That makes me so happy with a Barbie hand. 
no less. <laughs> it just makes my heart happy because usually I'm the only one whose kids are walking in. And I gave my kids $20 and told them to ride their bikes to the gas station to buy candy. That's how I dealt with today's babysitting. <laughs> the, not the youngest one. He's, he's over at a friend's house. But okay, I'm sorry. That is neither here nor there. Continue, Carly. I think it's also okay to set the expectation early on that you might not be able to attend everything, that you won't be able to participate in everything the same way you did before, and to remember that I'm not able to attend is a complete sentence. Thanks for the invite, but I can't. That's a complete sentence, and it's okay to say that. Ooh. I feel like my mind exploded again. It's okay if that's hard for your in-laws too. Because I'm like, because? Right. We're conditioned that we have to justify it. Yeah. Well, what are you doing? Why can't you come? What's going on? You feel like other people, if they know the reasons why, they're going to try and manipulate you into changing your reasons or overriding your reasons and then them getting what they want. I get that. That's how my, my musician life is. Can you do this gig? I'm sorry, I am not available. Well, why? It's like, I don't have to tell you why. And then they're like, well, you should do this and this and get out of whatever you're doing. So you can play my gig. Like, shut up. Go away. (laughs) I don't even feel like that. I feel like it's an internal thing for me to give a reason. I'm like so used to it because people outwardly try to do it. But I feel like I have to give the reason. Yeah. I learned how to start giving reasons because of people like that. Because they would outwardly say stuff, even as recent as like a couple weeks ago. So crazy. Musicians are annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Well, and again, you're in really high demand. So you're having to have these conversations toss, often, toss, it sounds toss, like. Toss. <laughs> yeah, we're conditioned, so it's different. So what, what do you say when they say, well, why? It depends who's asking. With some people, it's good enough to just say, I'm not able to attend. We have other things going on. With some people, I like to have more of a reason why. Some people aren't satisfied with that. And and sometimes I feel more comfortable if I do give them more of a reason why. And I do keep it pretty general. We have other stuff going on. Sometimes I'll also say having a really tough emotion and doing that would just be too much for me. I think it depends a lot on the relationship you have with the person. If it's a if it's an important relationship, then sometimes I do give a little more information because I want them to know. If it's a relationship where I need to keep that person at a safer distance, I keep things as general as possible and just say we've got other stuff going on and I don't think we'll be able to make it. One other thing I think is important is that we have to remind ourselves that the surviving spouse and kids, we are not expected to fill the place of the person who's lost, who's passed away. I mean, times you, you might ask to roles or situations where you're acting for that person. And that's an unfair expectation to put on us that we're filling all of the voids that that person left behind when we're already having to do that in so many other parts of our life. Yay, Carly, thank you so much for sharing all that. That's such valuable information. And I know it's helped me a lot too, even with just some of the little examples that we've shared. So thanks, you're the best. And I'm sorry your husband's dead too. Same for you guys. I'm sorry that we're all in this club, but 
you are wonderful for the work that you're doing. Your podcast is fabulous. So thanks for having me. Thank you. Since you have listened before, have you had a chance to think of what your favorite cheese is that you would like to share with us? We've been forgetting to do that lately. Such an important question. Lately, I would say my favorite is brie, but it changes. That's in Anita's realm. But that's my favorite right now. Nice. Hey, Carly, remind us how long it's been since your husband died. It's been seven years. I can't even imagine being seven years out. How are you feeling at the seven-year mark? And how is it different than maybe the two- or three-year mark? I never thought I would be functioning like I am now. Like, I have a job, and my kids are still surviving, and we just moved into a house. So we're, like, doing these things that I never thought I'd be able to do without Mike. I think... There are also, I think the grief triggers happen less often. I think they're more intense when they do happen. And it's been long enough that everyone else is kind of over it by seven years. And so they're kind of like, oh, you're fine now, right? Like that happened. It's for everyone else, that's a thing far in the distant past. And it's still something that affects my life every day. So. I've found ways to create space for more joy and more happiness. And there's also a lot of grief sometimes. And I think that's hard for people to realize that it's still there seven years later. As your kids go through milestones, does your grief kind of come back up and make it a little harder? For sure. Those milestones with kids are hard. And my, because I was pregnant when Mike died, my kids never met him. And so It's interesting. We hope that our listeners have found this really helpful. We know that a lot of you are struggling with this issue. So we hope that this has been a really helpful podcast episode for you. We hope that maybe Carly will come back one day when we have another really hard subject for her to conquer. But until then, remember to check out the Widow Wives Club and our Patreon to keep the podcast going. And I'm Anita. I'm Mel. I'm Carly. And we're just three young widows. One of us has a lot of letters behind our name. And we're just trying to figure out widow we do now. This is my favorite thing to discuss with you. Tell me, what is it? One of my favorite things. I do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs. This is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan, especially when you're a widow, your person is dead, you might have kids, you might need another option, and you just want your phone to work, you want unlimited texting and service, and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month. It blows my mind that they have plans that start at $15 a month. That is so cheap. And the cool thing is, is it uses other 5G networks. And so you don't have to pay extra for that. And you still get great service. Yep. Anita and I have traveled all over and I have used my phone. So I highly recommend it. And my mom's even on it. When my dad died, we put his phone down to the cheapest plan, which is $15 a month. And I think my mom's on the $20 a month plan and it's so worth it. It's so much cheaper than what we were all paying before. So I highly recommend it if you're on a budget or not, who cares? Ryan Reynolds is in charge of the company and they send you free stickers with Ryan Reynolds temporary tattoos. It's kind of the best. So if somebody wants to sign up, what can they do, Anita? 
Go to trymintmobile.com slash WWDN. Seriously, you guys, such a great idea. Save yourself some money. And if you're worried about losing data or having any changes with your phone, not going to happen. They walk you through it. Everything's fine. It's the easiest process of all time. Again, that's trymintmobile.com slash WWDN.